0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Off Grid, with me, Dave. And me, Void. It's the Not Really About Crosswords podcast. And before recording, like puzzling vampires, we've sunk our teeth into a cryptic crossword and sucked all the answers out of it, as well as finding interesting words to inspire us and choosing one clue each that we liked. If you want to also
1: solve the crossword, to avoid any spoilers you might come across in this episode then you need to go and have a look at the Financial Times crossword from the 11th of May 2022, and that's number 17091, set by Gozo. So pause us and go and grab that. The link is in the blog
0: if you want. Otherwise, just listen on regardless. And in addition to all that, we'll round everything off by getting lightly quizzed on some stuff inspired by the puzzle. Now, naturally, quizzing requires calling upon general knowledge. So, calling upon general knowledge. Are you there?
2: Hello. I am here. Thanks for having me. (laughs)
0: Nice to have you back.
1: Okay, we'll now read our three favourite clues which we picked from the puzzle. But this time, we have to give you a slight caveat because this puzzle was slightly unusual in that it had a preamble which read, all the solutions are thematic and almost all lack their thematic definition though one clue does suggest a theme. So, when we're reading out these clues, you might want to bear in mind that there might not be a definition part to them. So, General, what was your favourite clue, please?
2: Yeah, my favourite clue was 15 across. Some of the children erred one way or the other, four letters.
0: And Dave? I chose 22 down, which said... Persistent pain in both sides. And that was six letters. And what about you?
1: I picked 23 down. Removes clothes from French Revolutionary. Six letters. We'll revisit those in a bit and explain how they work. But first off, General, what flight of fancy are you going to take off from the puzzle upon?
2: Okay, well. The word that I have picked out, and like all of the solutions, it is a name violet. But what I'm going to talk about is a form of aversion therapy for me, because I'm talking about palmer violets, the sweets. Ooh. All right, are you yummy. aware of these? <laughs> yeah. Vaguely. Do you like them?
1: I kind of do, but they are weird.
2: They are weird. Um, Yeah, I don't like them.
0: (laughs) I can't say I've had them in living memory. So uh, to recall, are they lavender flavor?
2: Well, they're violet flavor. (laughs) Okay, Mm. (laughs) if if violets can have a flavor,
0: I think I certainly remember having had some sweets that were flower flavored at some point. Yeah,
2: there is kind of a long tradition of, of floral sweets that. You know, they almost like predate the breath mint as something to have after a meal to kind of freshen your breath. Palmer violets are a bit more recent. Um, They're made by Swizzles, Swizzles Matlow, um, who also make the famous love hearts. They've been making them since 1946. And yeah, they've got this very kind of distinctive floral, almost soapy or perfumey flavour. Uh, not to everyone's taste at all. but um, do you know where the name parma violets comes from? Anyone? Does it
1: come from Palmer? <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> call me crazy.
2: It wasn't entirely a trick question. Um, well they're named after a flower. there's a variety of violet called the Palmer violet
0: right okay
2: but it doesn't come from Parma. (laughs) That would be too obvious. (laughs) It kind of comes from Parma. It's uh, from Italy. They originate probably from Italy, but they were exported widely from Parma. So that's why they they have that name. But no one seems to know the exact origin of the flower. And if you look at the ingredients on on Parma violets, it's not entirely clear if they contain flavouring that's you know natural flavouring derived from these flowers but they do contain something called anthocyanin do you know I what was. that might be thinking well, about your ancient second, greek
1: the second half doesn't sound uh, i know nothing, nothing to extraordinarily do with healthy <laughs> no nothing, nothing to, do to do with cyanide, with cyanide?
2: no okay. think about um, um well,
0: well anthocyanin well anthus is flower isn't it so
2: it is dave yeah so it's a colouring from a flower pigment. Is so, a, also
0: cyan is a sort of blue. So it's a blue yeah. fla, blue f- colouring.
2: Exactly. So it comes from cyanus uh, or cyanus, which is a I means dark blue in ancient Greek. Right. And yeah, it's a natural colouring found in various sort of bluey and purple plants. flowers including like black beans and things like that so lots of dark colored things so yeah they put that in in these sweets to get the purple color the flavor I mean I'm sure it's something horrific and artificial these days but (laughs) yeah and then as with any kind of totally disgusting food there are people who are determined to insert it into other perfectly good products so There's a Parma Violet flavoured cider, for example, that was launched by um, brothers who do make quite a lot of fruity and weird ciders um, in 2019. There's lots of Parma Violet gins. I was going to
0: say, I can imagine it as a botanical.
2: Yeah, um, and cocktails. There's a book that um, I've been skimming through called Great British Sweets and How to Make Them at Home. Oh. Uh, and this is by Adele nozadar It is quite good, but... Who a... he
1: probably wants to get sued by the sound <laughs>
2: of it. Yeah, I, looking at the list of sweets... Most of them were kind of non-proprietary sort of names, but obviously Parma Violet has snuck in there somewhere. Mm, uh-huh. And it's, it's odd because for at least two of the suites mentioned, it actually says, don't bother making these at home. It's much too complicated. <laughs> <laughs> and for Parma Violets, it says, you can't really make these at home because you need specialised compressing equipment to make these tiny little um, discs. So instead, in the book, she gives you a cupcake recipe so you can have Parma Violet cupcakes and also tells you how to make Parma Violet vodka, which was fairly straightforward until the, the end bit where she talks about having to scrape the froth off the top, which sounded really unappetizing. <laughs> but the worst or you the best. You said that
1: the uh, Parma yeah. Violets being small, maybe for anyone who doesn't know them, they're only about, what, five or six millimetres in diameter? Yes. Circular button type. Uh,
2: yeah. Suits. Very nice to look mm-hmm. at, but quite a pleasing sort of shape. And they've got this little concave surface, but strange flavour. Mm. Mm-hmm. The worst or best concoction, though, depending on your point of view, is Parma Violet Cheese. And this really it was a kind of marketing wheeze by swizzles in 2016, which was the 70th anniversary of the suite. And they teamed up with the Cheshire Cheese Company to create this purple cheese. It's very vividly purple rind, (laughs) soft centre, and it incorporates kind of little bits of crushed palm violet sweet. So what they have to say about it is. I quote: "The sweet pieces in the creamy cheese is a perfect combination." Your tongue says "palm of violets," but your mouth says "cheese." <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. It's and best... Your
0: brain says "no, thank you." <laughs>
2: your brain says no. It's best served on a sweet digestive, mm. but I don't think I will be trying that one anytime soon. I'd give it a
1: go. I think <laughs> I probably <laughs> try wouldn't go out one. of my way to try it. But if someone offers something to me, I'd, I'd give it a go. Mm. Yeah, so, I'd probably prefer refreshers or love hearts.
2: Exactly. Refreshers are a classic, aren't they?
1: Well, there's only one word to seal off that section with, and that's sweet. <laughs> <Dear>. <laughs> right, Dave, tell us how your chosen clue works, please.
0: Yeah, if you remember, my choice was persistent pain in both sides, six letters. And remember also according to the puzzles preamble, uh, which the general also alluded to, the thematic missing definition that we all had to work out by solving the wordplay from some of the clues and then seeing what they had in common turned out that they were all given names. So this one was a fairly simple pass. Both sides usually means left and right, abbreviated, as always, to L and R. So those would make two out of the six letters of the answer. And a persistent pain in them would have to indicate a four-letter word to go between L and R. So how about an ache? You just have to put the right and the left in the right order. Uh, Right plus ache plus left gives you the name Rachel. It's a nice smooth surface. Uh, Very well constructed clue. Yes. So, uh, Void, which name was calling out to you? Mm Well, I picked the word Cornelia, the second half of which,
1: Elia, was cleared as Lamb, which no doubt would probably have confused some people. Elia, or it might be Elia, I'm not sure.
0: I'm never sure of the pronunciation, no. Yeah,
1: it was the pen name of the late 18th century, early 19th century writer and essayist, Charles Lamb he's most famous for his essays of elia let's go with Eliah. <laughs> and the children's work tales from shakespeare which he co-wrote with his sister mary i have encountered elia equals lamb in crosswords a couple of times before and given that he's not that well known these days i suspect that most solvers would have learned this fact from their crosswording adventures yeah same here and that would have been the case for me, were it not for the fact that for a while, quite a long time ago, I used to live in Islington, more specifically on Elia Street. Mm. So I knew there was a writer of that name because I'd seen a blue plaque that was in the area nearby, but I didn't know much about him and I still haven't got around to reading any of this stuff, I'm afraid. Sorry, Charles, but I have read up. And he was a contemporary and friend of Coleridge. He also knew Hazlitt, Keats and Lee Hunt, among others. And he was quite well regarded as a writer at the time. And his essays, which he started writing from 1820 or publishing, were popular reading. What I didn't know about him was that he had spent some time in a mental facility Hmm. and he joked about it afterwards in a letter he wrote to Coleridge in 1796. Quote The six weeks that finished last year and began this, your very humble servant spent very agreeably in a madhouse at Hoxton. I'm got somewhat rational now, and I don't bite anyone. <laughs> so <laughs> he uh, thankfully seemed to have recovered afterwards. Wow. But I also read up that it seems to have run in the family because his sister Mary also had more serious problems. Mm -hmm. And I was quite surprised to read that in... Oh, I've written 1976 here, but I think that's 1796. (laughs) When, quote, worn down to a state of extreme nervous misery by attention to needlework by day and to her mother at night, unquote, she stabbed her mother in the heart with a table knife. Ouch. Yeah, which proved fatal. Um,
0: Seems likely.
1: Yes. Mm. Charles had her taken to a private mental facility and the coroner returned a verdict of lunacy, which at that time meant she wasn't culpable of murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it was all on the condition that Charles took personal responsibility for Mary's safekeeping. Mm -hmm. And so she did spend time in various facilities on and off thereafter. But she did manage to also participate in her brother's social and literary circle and managed to work with him quite a lot as well, reasonably successfully. And their writing brought them financial security. So that's good. Mm -hmm. Peter Ackroyd later wrote a book about them called The Lambs of London. And I do also remember that there was a pub on Elias Street called The Charles Lamb, And I did once have an orange juice there. (laughs) I I think I read it closed quite recently, though. Oh. But after I moved out of Elias Street, I moved into another street not very far away in Islington. And when I was in a different pub, somebody told me that that street was currently the home of another famous writer. Do you want to have a guess at who that might have been?
0: Well, I've been on a trip through Islington for uh, about a specific famous writer who's no longer with us, but was a bit more recent than Charles Lamb. Do you think it might have been the one that I was uh, referring to? I think it is. Well, Douglas Adams famously lived in Islington for a while. I was... He did, yes. I lived on the same
1: street as Douglas Adams for a bit.
0: Oh, you're we... lucky so and so. Nice. We once threw a party,
1: and my housemate, Lisa, went and told the neighbours on either side a couple of houses. And then uh, she decided to get a little bit cheeky and walked halfway down the street and knocked on Douglas's door to invite him as well. He wasn't in, but uh, his wife was uh, friendly, but declined, as far as I remember. Uh, I did once see him getting into his car. Uh, And another time I was sitting on Islington Green, actually reading Mostly Harmless, yeah. when I realised that that person who just walked past me, hang on a minute, yes, that's all, like, I recognise him. <laughs> <laughs> kind of him. And I could have run after him and said, excuse me, Mr Adams, I really like your books. I think they're
2: really funny. But, uh,
1: but I didn't.
0: Yes, yeah. thought better of it. I believe yeah. at one point, Angus Deaton lived next door to him. Uh, and Angus Deaton's uh, girlfriend was also called Lisa at the time.
2: Is ah. that your house, mate?
1: <laughs> well, not as far as I know. I haven't seen Lisa for quite a <laughs> while. We're recording this a little bit before towel day and I'll just yeah. close by saying, I know where mine is
2: and yes. you should too. <laughs> yes. Agreed.
1: A General, give us the rundown on your chosen clue, please.
2: Yes, so the clue was some of the children erred one way or the other. Four letters. And Often in a crossword clue, when you see something like one way or the other, or one way or another, it's suggesting a a palindrome. So it's telling you to look for an answer that reads the same one way or another. But there's something slightly different going on here that I really liked. I don't think I've seen before. And there is both a hidden word going forwards and a hidden word going backwards in the clue which leads to the answer, which is René. So inside children heard you've got René, but also if you read it backwards, you've also got René coming from a slightly different starting point. So, yeah, I just thought that was unusual and neat. Yeah, the
1: E-N-E overlapped with an yeah. R on either side. Yeah, yeah, it was nice. It was unusual
0: construction. Dave.
1: Yes. Which name did you pick to chat about?
0: Well, before I say which name I picked, I'll give you a quick tale of a rubbish art heist. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, please. In 1911, an Italian chap called Vincenzo Perugia was working at the Louvre Museum in Paris. Now, while he was an artist himself, he was there just in the capacity of a member of staff. All the employees customarily wore white smocks, Uh, One day in August, he put his on and went in with the other workers. And then in one of the galleries, when no one else was around, he took one painting down, took off his smock, wrapped the painting in it, and then walked out with the thing. Apparently nobody noticed the piece was missing until the next day. And even then, the initial assumption was that it had been taken down to be photographed somewhere. So he'd taken it at the end of the day? At the end of the day, I think so, yeah. yeah. Eventually they realised that it had in fact been nicked and they closed the gallery and they mounted an investigation. And some high-profile people were suspected of the theft for some reason. At first, the writer Guillaume Apollinaire mm-hmm. was suspected. They brought him in and briefly locked him up. And then they brought in Picasso for questioning. <laughs> It's just a
1: case of round up the usual artistic suspects.
0: <laughs> well, something like this, yeah. The trail went cold and the painting was thought lost. Meanwhile, Perugia had it hidden in his flat. But after two years, he returned to Italy and took it with him, where he kept it then in his apartment in Florence. And it turns out he was a sort of Italian patriot who felt that the painting by a little-known 16th-century polymath by the name of Leonardo, you might have heard of him, um, should really be returned to its homeland. Yeah, I've I've totally heard of him. Oh, dear. (laughs) Eventually, he approached the director of the Uffizi with it, and he authenticated the painting and took it in for safekeeping, and then phoned the police and had Perugia arrested. After that, the painting toured Italy for a while, but was eventually returned to the Louvre, who were presumably jolly pleased to see it back. Now, what was it? Well, it was a portrait. I think we know where this
2: is going.
1: Lisa
0: Girardelli or something like that? Lisa Girardini, yes. And she was the wife of Francesco del Giocondo,
1: Yeah.
0: uh, hence one of its common names, La Gioconda. I think most Brits know it best as the Mona Lisa, and this is all as a result of Mona being one of the answer names in the grid. But of course, in, I'm not in the sure Mona I Lisa, that uh,
1: La Gioconda came from a surname Gioconda. Yeah, thought...
0: You, th- you thought it was kind of laughing or something like that. Yes, yeah, related actually... to the word giocond mm. Yes, well, no, that may have surname. been ah. that may have been kind of part of the derivation of of the family name, but no, it was yes. just the family name. Yeah. Well, of course, in the Mona Lisa, Mona isn't her name. It's a contraction of Madonna, my lady, similar to madam in English. Mm. And here we have another case of us English language folk mangling other people's languages and getting them all wrong. <laughs> because, you see, in Italian, if you're going to make a contraction of Madonna, then that would be Mona with two Ns. Mm. Right. And if you spell Mona with one N, well, that means something different entirely. In Italian. Yeah. So it had a couple of meanings, one of which is monkey, (laughs) which meaning it gets from the Spanish. And that, in fact, is probably related to how we get the word monkey because we get it from an old French Mona. And that comes from the Spanish Mona. So perhaps not very flattering to compare one of the most famous portraits of a woman to a monkey, but even worse is the other meaning of Mona, which Am is... Am I going to have to label this episode as explicit this time around? Uh, well, you you would if I... If I well, it's it's largely Trevento <laughs> slang, uh, and let's say it's the equivalent of the C word. Right. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. Yeah. At any rate... As an actual name, uh, Mona has two or three separate and distinct histories, thankfully none of which are derived either from monkeys or (laughs) vulgar terms for lady parts. (laughs) First, there's a diminutive of an Irish... Now, of course, you see Irish spellings. I think it's pronounced Munat, which means little noble one. Mm -hmm. That's spelt M-U-A-D-H-N-A-I-T. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And secondly, there's an Arabic muna, which means wishes or desires, which is quite nice. Mm. And thirdly, in Scandinavian countries, it's a short form of monica, uh, whose meaning and origin seem to be obscure, but go back at least as far as a 4th century North African saint, the mother of St Augustine of Hippo. Mm -hmm.
1: Which one was Bo Diddley singing about then?
0: You've lost me there. (laughs) Uh, It's a Bo Diddley song. Okay, well, I I was trying to think of anybody famous with the name of Mona. There's not really very many as a kind of mid-ranking German tennis player. But listeners of a certain vintage, you remember the radio series Itmar. It's that man again. Mm -hmm. may recall the character Mona Lott. (laughs) Yeah. With her catchphrase, it's being so cheerful that keeps me going.
2: Yeah. I think there was a song as well by that guy from Neighbours, wasn't that? Hey, Mona?
1: That's the cover of the Bo Diddley song, yeah. Is it? Oh. Yeah. There you go. Craig.
2: McLaughlin? McLaughlin, yeah. I want to say. Mm. Yeah, that's right. Okay. But which Mona he was talking about, or which Mona Bo Diddley was talking about, I guess we don't know, do we? Mm. Just looking it up.
1: According to Diddley's obituary in the New York Times, Mona was a song of praise he wrote for a 45 year old exotic dancer who worked at the Flame Show Bar in Detroit.
0: <laughs> Marvellous.
1: The song also became the template for Buddy Holly's Not Fade Away.
0: Uh-huh. <laughs> ah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
2: Classic Bay Diddley
1: beat.
0: There we are. Did you want any more? Have you got more? Uh, I was just going to say that the Mona Lisa has also been the inspiration for numerous subsequent derivative works and parodies and things. Mm. And I was just going to ask if you were familiar with Marcel Duchamp's take yeah. on the thing. He gave we a have, different name, didn't he? I know we what have he more did. potential vulgarity coming along. I'm afraid. Yeah.
1: He, he basically painted a mustache on a copy of the Mona Lisa, right?
0: Y- yeah. This is so. This is for this is, this is. Duchamp, famous for the ready-made, uh, most famously, Fountain, which was the signed urinal. Mm. So the idea being that you sort of take up pre-existing everyday objects that are not normally considered art, and by sort of adding to them, changing them, renaming them, subtly reframing their context, you turn them into art. So this one, this one was um, a cheap postcard reproduction of the Mona Lisa, onto which, as you say, he drew a moustache and a beard and under which he wrote a caption consisting of the five letters L-H-O-O-Q.
1: Oh, yeah. Now, how about if we pronounce them in French? So it would be L H I can't remember how to
0: pronounce Q in French. Yeah. Which also
2: means something else.
0: Well, yeah, so an English monoglot might kind of wonder what it is and think, is it a funny spelling of look? Is it an a- acronym? Yeah, so it's a sort of French homonym pun, elle a chaud au cul," which literally translates something along the lines of, she's got a hot ass. <laughs> yeah. But <laughs> the idea conveyed is, I love Wikipedia's coy phrasing, that of sexual restlessness. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I think Duchamp's idea was merely to be shocking. Yeah, Yeah, that's all I've got on Mona. Void, sticking with the French, let's have the explanation for the clue that you picked out. Yes, if you
1: recall, the clue I chose was removes clothes from French revolutionary. Six letters. Now, revolutionary in a crossword clue will often tell you to reverse something or maybe to make an anagram or maybe you're looking for Lenin or Marx or Che Guevara typically but it's none of those things here. You are actually looking for the name of a French revolutionary and when I started trying to solve this clue, all the French revolutionaries I knew dropped immediately out of my brain and I could only (laughs) remember Marat Marat Marat, no, the other one, Marat, no, what is it? But eventually I remembered Robespierre, who was a famous French revolutionary. And if you remove clothes or robes from Robespierre, you're left with Pierre. So that's just another undefined person's name at the end. Yeah, it
2: was nice. Very uh, misleading. Uh, it makes you look for more complicated wordplay than there really is. Right, it's time for a quiz. So all of these are based on the grid in some form. So your first question is, which fictional character's full name is Hermione Makepeace? So we had Hermione as one of the answers here. Hmm.
0: Peace. Can't say that I do.
1: So you've just given us her full name. So therefore, I'm assuming she's more famous by a nickname or a pseudonym.
2: Yes. So it might help to think of ways that you might contract Hermione, or diminutives of Hermione, maybe not yes. the most common uh, sort it, of a dim, name. A diminutive
1: might be called a, a, a mini name, right? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. yes, Is it Minnie the Minx?
2: It is Minnie the Minx. Oh, very yes. well done. A uh, character in the Beano comic since 1953, which makes her, the I think, the third kind of longest running um, after Dennis the Menace and Roger the Dodger. Well worked out. I don't think her real name is, is mentioned that often, so uh, yeah, well done. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can't remember if she's the one who wears a beret. I always get her mixed up with barrel apparel. Ooh. Yeah, mm. I'll I've, have to look up an image. <laughs>
2: I think it's beryl the peril with the beret and I think Minnie the Minx has little kind of pigtails, maybe. That sounds okay. plausible. All right, question two. We're back to Pierre again for this one. Do you know what the letters DBC stand for in the pen name of the author DBC Pierre? Have you heard of him?
1: I have heard of I him. have heard of him. Did something he write win the Booker Prize or some prize like that?
2: He wrote Vernon God Little, which was his kind of famous debut I think and that did win something I forget which prize was this it was
0: a really big book wasn't it I think and Mm. was it was it one of the ones ones that had got you start from both ends or there was two two versions of it it was was, am I thinking of the right thing
2: it had something experimental about it and again I've forgotten completely (laughs) obviously didn't do my proper research for this question anyway DBC but thinking about the name
1: It does sound like the sort of thing that the Book of Judges would love, but uh, yeah. I don't know the name. DBC. Do <laughs> those? You can
2: have a multiple choice if you want, because <laughs> I think it's probably quite hard.
0: Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah? Go on.
2: All right. Is it A. Dickens, Ballard, Collins. B. Dirty but clean, or C. Dead by Christmas.
0: Given those options, I think I recognise. I think it might be B. I think it's dirty but clean. The first one is the surname of three
1: other authors, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, well, at least three other authors.
2: Yeah. So yeah,
1: dirty but clean.
2: Yeah. Yay, I like. Fun. I quite like Dead
1: by Christmas, but uh, <laughs> I'll go for Dead by Christmas just because it amuses me.
2: <laughs> it is dirty but clean. Yeah, it's sort of a reference to his very kind of long-standing battles with drug addiction mm. that he, he went through kind of before and during his writing career. Mm. So,
0: Sounding yeah. vaguely familiar once, once you offered it as an option. Yeah. Nice. Okay.
2: And last question. Who is the odd one out in this group of women? Megan, Rita, Gretchen and Amy. Megan, Rita, Gretchen,
1: Amy. My first thought is of three of them in Mambo Number Five, <laughs> but, uh...
2: one of them is in Mambo Number Five. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but that might oh, be well, a... she's the other one. Out. No, um...
1: <laughs> Megan, Rita, Gretchen, and Amy are three of them. Mm. Ah, also of a diminutive group.
2: Yes, I think you're on to something there. The answer is suggested in one of the the answers in the crossword. So you can have a look at the grid to uh, get you over the finishing line there.
1: If I'm thinking of the right book, then I haven't actually read it. So uh, is it Little Women?
2: It is not Little Women. Oh, okay. It's not a book, but we are thinking about names being diminutives rather than women being little as such
1: oh okay so are three of them diminutives of answers in the grid
2: almost gretchen isn't no you're getting close
0: uh amy rita margarita oh are, I want say, are, I saying, all are marrying, they are they all re- variants of Margaret, apart yeah. from one of them?
2: Yes, they are.
0: So Gretchen is is a Gret, Greta, so it's a German version of Margaret, I guess. Yeah, Rita, Rita, Rita Mar- should be sort of Margarita, so it's in a sort yeah. of Spanish or Italian version. Amy doesn't sound like you could get it from Margaret. No, so and I, I mean Meg. Meg is often thought as of, yeah. So is it Amy? Yeah. Oh.
2: It is Amy, yeah. yeah. Amy, Amy doesn't come from Margaret, but yeah, there's a, there's there's loads that come from the name Margaret that you kind mm. of wouldn't think. I mean, I didn't put in Peggy daisy, would have been the giveaway. A, a Peggy and Daisy is another one because mm. the marguerite flower is like a big daisy, so Daisy mm-hmm. is another version of Margaret. But um, yeah, Megan, Rita, Gretchen, all forms of Margaret. Well done.
0: Which was twelve across.
2: It was, yes.
0: Yeah. Nice. That's rather good. All right. You have been listening to off grid. Thanks for joining us once again. You can pester us on the bird site where I'm at Skirwingle. And if you are a crossword solver, you can find excellent puzzles by all sorts of setters at mycrossword.co.uk, interspersed with a few monstrosities here and there by me. And I'm on Twitter as
1: The Void T-L-M-B. And there's another crossword site called gocrossword.co.uk where you can find some of my puzzles. You can build and host your own crosswords and solve and comment on ones by other people. And I'd also like to give a plug to Xolve, which is a great online tool for getting a browser-solvable crossword by copying the text of the clues from a PDF file or other source uh, when it regularly gets new updates that's a great site by virashimal give links to all of those in the blog general what would you like to recommend
2: well i'd also like to recommend mycrossword.co.uk, and uh you might want to check out puzzles there by angel amongst others and also puzzles in the independent by angel
0: that sounds like a good idea definitely right we'll
1: see you in a fortnight everyone thanks general thanks dave
0: Bye. Thank
2: you. Bye, all.
1: Bye. Off Grid is a TLMB production. Thank you, Gozo, for our crossword today. And thank you to the Trudy for our fabulous theme tune. See you next time, folks. Bye-bye.
2: I forgot to mention that it's National Palmer Violet Day sometime in June. I don't know when this one's going out, but anyway, too late.
1: (laughs) Well, it's not too late because I'm still recording.